On this episode of the Hustle of the Day podcast, I have Brendan Kumarasamy. Brendan is making the largest YouTube channel dedicated to the art of public speaking called Master Talk. Brendan has a great story where he wasn't great at speaking, and so if he can do it, anybody can learn the skills of public speaking. Super awesome story. You're going to want to listen to this one. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent Bray. I'm super excited for this episode. I only started talking to this gentleman yesterday, and I have been obsessed. Like, this this is going to be a fantastic episode. Brendan Kumarasamy on here from Master Talk. Brendan, jump in. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey, Trent. So great to be here. So yeah, when I, when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like being on a professional sports team, but for nerds. So instead of, you know, practicing soccer every morning or football every morning and having your coach yell at you, well, I did that with presentations. So I presented three to five times a week for three years. And from all of that knowledge, I actually didn't want to do something, anything really big with my life. All I wanted to do with that knowledge was to get a corporate job. The main reason is because I wanted to get out of poverty. I wanted to provide a better opportunity for my family. But once I got that opportunity, I transitioned from how do I use the money that I have to make an impact in the world to how do I use my time and expertise? And when I'd realized when I was watching a lot of YouTube videos on public speaking is there wasn't that much great content on the topic. So that's when I started Master Talk and then I went on from there. Very cool. So yeah, you you talked about uh, or we talked about prior to this that you know these case competitions really give you a shoe in for consultancy jobs and you managed to get that corporate consultancy job and you know i i know you want to make an impact with your time as well but i don't want to downplay your financial contributions either because i know you're a big proponent of charity water and you know you you offer financial support to them as well as you know your platform that you're uh, trying to help more people become public speakers. Uh, but once you got that corporate job, you, you scaled back your, your own life, which is, you know, very unusual. Most people that get that corporate job, they're like, yes, I'm going to live the lifestyle. I'm going to do it all. And you didn't. What, where was that? At what point did that turn for you? I, I love the start of this conversation. So the idea is, what I've always been believed that's made me successful, I'm sure that's made you successful in life, Trent, is to never follow conventional wisdom if it's not right. So a lot of people, what they do, and this is what I've done at a very young age since I was 12, is I would always look to future versions of me and see what they were doing. So for instance, let's say when I started in corporate consultant, uh, in consultancy and I looked at people who are in more senior roles than me who, ha- who had spent maybe 10 years in that company, what are those individuals doing and what are the outcomes? In other words, who will I be if I stay there for 10 years? And then I would see the different ways that they would behave. They're really nice people, great folks, but they would spend unnecessarily on X or they would do this with Y. And they would make irrational decisions or different ways of looking at it with the same amount of money 
but weren't working on anything you know, that was going to make a big difference in the world. So when I looked at the same sphere and I looked at the same income I was making at a very early age, I said, how can I better allocate that capital in a way that's going to make a difference in the world, in a way that I believe is the right way forward? So like you had said, most of my colleagues, what they do is you know, they get a fancy car. You know, they play up to what other people want them to do. Whereas I sat down and I said, Master Talk's going to be my priority. And I pay my video editor 25% of my personal salary just to edit those videos. So I literally went from a kid in poverty who couldn't afford like a $15 meal. And then I transitioned to having a very good income for myself to going a bit back into poverty. And just to be completely transparent here, I also live with my mom. I don't own a car and I spend very little on anything because my focus is where I want to be. So I guess the advice here is don't listen to what other people are telling you to do, but rather focus your attention on what you believe is the right thing to do. Wow, that's that's impressive. I I, I applaud you for for having the foresight and the vision to uh, look ahead. Not a lot of people do that. They just think, okay, I I got a foot in. I'm just going to climb the ladder. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And you're looking way beyond that. You're looking you know, outside long-term of the consultancy job of, you know, making that impact in public speaking. And I've got to applaud you on that, you know, for, for just having that vision. That's very cool. So what made you decide that master talk was going to be your path forward? Yeah. And I think a good way of explaining this is I think in life, we should all be focused on solving two different problems. Except if you're Elon Musk, then you can solve fortune. <laughs> right. For most of us, we should be focused on two. So one problem that we're uniquely positioned to solve. And the second problem is what I call the world's easiest problem. So let's go over the first one. So the first one is very simple. Based on all of the talents, the gifts, and expertise that you've accumulated thus far in your life, is there any specific problem that you believe you can solve in full or, ha- or make a big dent in? And the second part of it is solving the world's easiest problem. Because the issue with philanthropy and you know, trying to solve different problems is those are the hardest problems in the world to solve. So if we actually want to get something done, we should be focused on the easiest ones. So a good example of that is let's say you take something like gun violence. So if you take a Democrat and a Republican and you ask them both the same question, hey, do you think Americans should own guns? We can use America as an example. It could be any country. The Democrat would say, well, no, that's not right. We shouldn't be holding. Look at all this tragedy. And then the Republican might say, hey, you know, if we got to keep these guns, it's important. But if you ask both of those individuals, hey, do you think every single human being should have clean drinking water? Both of them are probably going to say yes. So that way we can focus our attention on the world's easiest problems first. But going back to the first one, I think the focus, for me anyways, I had five or six different ideas. So one of them was to be a motivational speaker like Tony Robbins. Let's share all of this. And honestly, I could have done okay with it. You know, I, I had some presentation experience. I could have hustled a bit more for that. Or I could have done master talk, or I could have done something in philanthropy, or I could have focused more on my career. And the, what made me make the decision for master talk is because nobody else was doing it. To be quite frank, I don't even like making the YouTube videos. I love speaking. I love creating knowledge for people. I love making an impact in the same way that you do. 
But when it comes to YouTube, I hated making the videos. So why did I choose to do Master Talk and focus all my attention on one thing? And it goes back to what Seth Godin had said in his book, The Dip. If you want to be successful in life and you really want to serve the world, do what you're the best in the world at. And when I was going through Master Talk, obviously it wasn't like that at the beginning. I sucked. I wasn't that good on video. <laughs> but after six to eight months, what happened was I started to realize that what I was doing was a lot more important than I thought it was at the beginning. And I can go through some of that with you. One, I started Master Talk when I was 22. Two, I'm the only speaking coach right now on the platform that speaks multiple languages. And three, I'm the only person that a 16-year-old kid can relate to. So let's say you think about 16-year-old Julia. That's the example I use for these shows. So let's say she wants to make a difference in the world, right? And you know, she just wants to raise 100 bucks for a favorite animal charity. But she's afraid. She's scared of public speaking. So, but she has a presentation to give the next day. So what does she do? Well, she sits there, she goes on Wikipedia, she tries and figures out something with slides. And she goes on YouTube because a lot of you know, superheroes, people she looks up to, goes on the platform and she watches them. So she types public speaking tips and what does she find? She finds videos of old white dudes who don't know anything about public speaking. So what does she do? She locks up her laptop and she goes, well, if I, I clearly am not a speaker and that belief that she'll never be a great speaker will last for a whole life unless I take action. So basically, this will, to make a long story short, because I've been rambling a bit, the idea is simple. When I thought about the different options in my life and I looked at Master Talk, I said, even if I don't like making the videos, even if, but I enjoy the speeches, the mission that I have for this, only, I'm the only human being that is willing to take the action to make this happen for people because communication is the only skill that will live for forever. So I need to be the one to do that. So that's kind of what helped me fuel my decision there. Wow. That's, that's a crazy way to think of it. I mean, that's you, like you said, it's more impactful than you even realized. Uh, and like you said, the com communication is going to be a skill that will last the rest of this earth. Like that's just an absolute truth. I'm, I'm glad that you saw the vision that you are going for it in spite of not liking it. And, you know, same, same case with me of, you know, I'm about six to eight months into this podcasting thing. And looking back, the first episodes were awful. I'm, I'm getting better, but you know, it still takes time. It still takes effort. And one thing I want to touch on that you, that you said is, you know, the most common thing that you hear in, in terms of, uh, you know, the motivational speakers that when you want to quit is you're doing a disservice to somebody by not sharing your talents. And that's exactly what you're doing. You, you, if you aren't out there sharing your talents, you're doing a disservice to Julia as the example you gave. And just in the little bit of time that I've had to look through your YouTube channel, it's like, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to be using these to help improve my speaking skills just on the podcast. So Brendan, this is the episode where I'm going to start getting better at speaking. Now, the question is, were you always naturally gifted at speaking? I'm glad you asked me that. This is why I'm so passionate about public speaking because the answer is definitely not. Okay. So just to give you the quick story here, when I was five years old, my parents came up to me and they said, well, Brendan, you live in Montreal, Canada, which is up north. And they said, well, you need to learn how to speak French or else you can't do business here. You can't get a great job here. So we're going to put you in a French school. Except one problem. 
I didn't speak a word of French. (laughs) So not only was I uncomfortable with presentations my whole life until university, but I was also presenting in a language I didn't even know. So when I was in grade two, three, four, I would walk up and then I would have to give it in French and I would just look at the audience and go, uh, uh, bonjour. That's high in French, by the way. And then I just went, uh, and then I would start panicking. So if someone like me, who literally didn't even know how to speak a language, let alone presented it, can figure out public speaking, I really, that's why I'm so passionate as to everyone can do it. They, if someone just needed to come into the, into the mix to show people a tangible framework. So I'll give you a good analogy because I think this will cut it really well for people. So when we think about leaders, like leadership, we know that leaders aren't born, but they're rather created. So that's, that's very common knowledge. Whether you're a Mother Teresa, whether you're a Trent who's building a business, a podcast, whether you're a me with YouTube, we all know it's common wisdom. And a lot of the experts we look up to, whether it's Ed Milet, whether it's John Maxwell, Simon Sinek, Mel Robbins, they tell us that leaders aren't born, right? Through the experiences in your life, you become a great leader through the teams that you manage, through the challenging projects you take on. But in speaking, for some reason, people say something like this, oh, you know, uh, I'm actually not born a speaker. This is really not for me. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not for you? Like, I, I didn't know how to speak. You can figure this out. So I want to change that cultural shift so that in 50 years when I'm gone or when I'm near the end of my life, people say, oh, yeah, public speaking is easy. You know, there's this channel called Master Talk and like, oh, this is pretty clear. And yeah, it's pretty easy. So that's kind of like the shift that I want to make in the world. Very cool. So you, you mentioned Simon, Simon Sinek, you know, his famous book, it starts with why I hammer that into, you know, entrepreneurs in general, just because for me personally, I've had so many failures in business because I didn't have that. Why I didn't have that passion, that motivation, that bigger picture behind it. And that's not the case now. Now I have that. Why I have that experience and I know what difference that makes for me and you talk about that with your speaking. You've got to have a why behind you public speaking. So the question is, most people that I know that are interested in public speaking, they are just basically looking to maximize their time versus impact. You know, they can impact more people with public speaking for a shorter amount of time. Is that a big enough why or do they need to dig deeper to find that why for speaking? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so let's, di- let's dig in a bit deep here. Let's explain why the why is important. <laughs> so to build on what Simon said, I guess the new knowledge I added on top of his amazing work already is the following statement. A lot of people ask me what the biggest challenge is in public speaking. And the answer will surprise you and your audience. It's not fear. It's not being on a stage. It's not preparing a speech. It's actually accountability. So let's say me and you are running a marathon. We have a marathon in Utah in six months and we're preparing. Let's say it's 40 miles. Except one problem. I'm lazy and you're not. So every week, you know, we got to run. We got to go on a run together. So five miles one week, 10 miles the next week, 15, et cetera, until we get to our goal. So week one, I don't want to get out of bed. But if you're knocking on my door at 5 a.m., I'm going to get up for two reasons. One, because you're there. And two, because I can visualize the end state. So the end state means I can visualize me and you 
finishing the race together and me holding my participation medal and you holding the gold medal. But at least I picture myself finishing the marathon. So because of that, the goalpost is extremely tangible. Hey, you know, if I run with Trent for 50 miles this week and I run a marathon that's only 40 miles, I'm obviously going to finish this race. So the mindset game is very easy. But in public speaking, that very same goalpost doesn't exist. What does it mean to be a good speaker anyways? Does it mean saying less ums and ahs? Does it mean pausing more? Does it mean being this crazy, energetic person like I am? Well, no. The answer is, is that there is no answer. And that's why accountability is so difficult. Because since our goalpost is so vague and almost non-existent, we're not incentivized to keep going. That's why your public speaking why is essential if you want to be one of the best speakers in the world. So if your goal is to be you know, a great speaker, you don't need it. But if you want to be a Simon Sinek, a Gary Vee, uh, an Ed Milet, a Mel Robbins, you want to be the best, like top 1%, you absolutely need the why. So for me, the public speaking why was very simple. It was winning case competitions in university. In that program of 80 delegates, maybe like 10% of applicants would get in. It was like the NFL for, for presentations. I was the speaking coach for all of the students. So when I was coaching them, it wasn't fun in games. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you can do better next time. I was like, no, you need to work on your game because we're going for a gold medal in three months. Like, this is serious stuff. And since I was the example to follow, I needed to be the best speaker in the room. So I was essentially the warlord of that entire thing, (laughs) right? So my public speaking why was really big. And then it shifted to being a senior executive at a company. Oh, I need really good communication skills to be the best of the best. And then it shifted again to, if I want to share master talk with the world, I better be a good speaker or else who's going to listen to a speaking (laughs) coach who doesn't know how to speak well, right? So it it doesn't make sense. So going back to, I guess, more tangible for your audience now, how do you develop that why? So one exercise that I recommend for people to do is imagine a world in, in, in a, a world that you are a good speaker. What does that world look like? Not just for yourself, but for everyone around you. And for most people, this is difficult because if they just have a day job and they don't really have any passions outside of work, it's hard to develop that public speaking why. But an easy example I can give your audience here is let's say you, 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 there's a charity you care about, whether it's an animal shelter, you know, charity water, a different organization, and you say, I really care about this charity, just raising a couple of bucks for them. That will give you an incentive to really practice. So that's some advice that I have there to develop that why. That's great, great advice. I, I appreciate you sharing that because it is tangible. It is something that you that you can visualize. Everybody has that that idea in their head. And so it is something that you can take a non-tangible into a tangible. Uh, but stepping back a little bit from one thing you said, it, you know, the most common idea is that the fear is the most uh, troubling thing with public speaking. Is it something that you can work with or is that the why is supposed to overpower that or how does that, how do you overcome that fear of public speaking or deal with that fear? Yeah, for sure. And a lot of speech coaches have different answers. So I'll give you my perspective. My point of view is fear never fades. 
I still have it. I'll always have it and everyone has it. But the difference and the better question we need to ask ourselves is why do the best speakers in the world, why do they not get or let fear get in the way of what they're doing or what they're presenting? So let's dive into that mindset a bit more. And I'll give you a quick story here to demonstrate. So I gave a keynote a couple of months ago to 200 kids. Okay, it was, it was for this uh, cha- change project. They wanted to make a difference in the world and they were building these amazing projects. And I was the communication expert for that keynote. And I was preparing, I've been preparing for months for that presentation. It's like a 20 minute keynote. I have to nail this, you know, practiced in English. It was perfect. Then I got there the day of and 20 minutes before the presentation, the manager comes up to me, you know, like the, the person who's running the nonprofit and he, and she goes, oh, by the way, Brendan, I totally forgot to tell you, half the room doesn't speak English. Can you do the keynote in English and French? And I just, <laughs> no. And, and it was one of my biggest keynotes so far. So I was like shaking. I was nervous. So why did I still present well anyways? Well, if you asked a day-to-day speaker, let's call him John. So John, you have this situation. You have to present in English and French. How do you feel? right? What happens if you don't do well? Well, then John will answer. He's like, well, it's not my fault. This is, that's, that's their fault. They didn't tell me that I had to present in both languages. So if I mess up, I'm not going to take accountability for that. I'm just going to do the best that I can and let bygones be bygones. So that's what I call the average speaker's mindset. So now how does this transition to an ultimatum, like someone who's really good at it? So if you ask someone like me, so, Brenda, you got this presentation in 20 minutes that, you know, you didn't know you had to do in French. And you, you, know, really, you obviously didn't have time to prepare for it. What do you think? Like, what happens if you don't do well? And my answer is, what do you mean if I don't do well? I have to do well. And the question is, why do I have to do well? I have to do well, not because I'm a good speaker, not because I want to give a talk or show my ego, but because those kids are relying on me. Now you're like, oh, what do you mean these kids are relying? What's, what, let me explain. Those 200 kids have spent the last three days working on a project that they believe wholeheartedly will change the world. And all 200 of them have the belief that they can't be good speakers. So if I mess up, the consequences are a lot more dear than just me you know, getting another shot at a presentation. It's I'll reinforce the belief system that they have. I'll tell those kids, me messing up tells those kids that, hey, you're right. You stink at public speaking. And that is a treason and a betrayal to the people that I'm supposed to serve. So for me, messing up a presentation isn't about being fearful. Not I was scared like crazy, but it was a duty and a responsibility to deliver at any cost. So failure for me, is not something that I like or anything, but it's just not an option. And that is the difference between someone who's scared of public speaking and lets it consume them versus someone who says, Julia, Rick, John, those 16-year-old kids are more important than any fear I could ever have. So I better deliver this presentation. I, I love your big picture thinking. I, so many people don't don't think in this aspect. And so I love that you are thinking so much about, you know, how those kids expect that out of you. And I mean, that's a fantastic example. I need to be thinking bigger picture of like you. Um, I need to be Brendan is what I need to be. (laughs) 
<laughs> like just I, I totally forgot to give my one sentence summary. The one sentence summary here is care enough to crush your fear. If you care so much about your audience that you literally become obsessed with them, right? You're talking to them. You understand the very psychology of who they are. Then you can become them. And I'll even dive this. I haven't done this so far in a podcast. I'll even dive in more on this. So when I give my regular keynotes, I talk about two types of people, Rebecca and Tim. Okay. So Rebecca's 10 years old. Okay? And Tim is a 55-year-old executive at a company. Even if I'm presenting the same information to both of them, the way that I present it and what they need from me is completely different. So let's take Rebecca. So Rebecca's 10 years old, right? You know, she doesn't really know what a CEO is. She doesn't really know what a company is. She's more just like, you know, I just want to make a difference. And I don't know. So whenever I finish my presentation, you know, with Rebecca, she tugs my shirt and she goes, uh, 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 Brendan, uh, I don't know if I can be a good speaker. Like, I don't So notice how I'm impersonating Rebecca, right? And then, but what Rebecca's asking me, she's not asking me for advanced public speaking tips on how to organize my talk and get all my technicals right. No, what Rebecca needs from me is a boost in confidence, is for someone to tell her that her message matters. So what I do is I crouch down, I look at her and I say, Rebecca, as long as you don't forget that beautiful smile of yours and you keep sharing it with all of the people who are excited to watch you, I'm sure you're going to be an amazing speaker. So then her face goes red and then she starts presenting. So what she needed from me was not me being the expert, was not me putting a fancy suit on, was not me telling her what to do, but just encourage her a bit. But when I'm talking to 55-year-old Tim, that's a completely different conversation for the same content. So Tim, it sounds something more like this. Yeah, Brendan, so I got seven minutes for this call and yeah, I know I paid you. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so look at my slide deck. I got to go. Make sure you get everything I need because I don't have time for this. So for him, it's going to sound something like this. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. I really appreciate it. So let's go through your slide deck today and I can name two to three points of improvement that I believe will increase the investment that you've given me today. So notice how the language here and the way that I'm speaking, I'm so obsessed, by the way, just for the record, I don't like speaking, I don't like coaching Tim either, but the idea is <laughs> the, way that I'm, the way that I'm communicating to both of those individuals, as you've noticed in the way that I've just described, is completely obsessed. And that is the difference between a top 10% speaker and a top one, I'd even argue a 0.01 speaker. Yeah, so I just did a, another... Um, podcast where we talked about that, you know, 1% effort and what it takes to be in that 1%. And it's, it's definitely taking that effort and taking that extra step. And just by crouching down to Rebecca's level in this example makes a world of difference that, you know, most people who are busy that are speakers, they might just be like, Oh yeah, keep, keep going. You're doing great. But, but you taking that time, crouching down, getting on her level, that's, that's the effort it takes to be in that 1%. So just taking that extra step that can translate, you know, outside of speaking to business. And usually on these podcasts, I talk, you know, more so about the business side of what master talk is doing, but I know I have a, a audience that is interested in the public speaking 
because of that maximizing their time versus impact. And that's, you know, kind of one of those steps that you take. It's a natural progression. Once you've reached a certain level in business, well, let's impact more people by speaking about my experiences. So I, I appreciate that you're, you know, relating both, both the business side and the the speaking side. You know, master talk is is your path. And you've been doing this for a little while now. What would you say has been your biggest failure in Master Talk and what have you learned from it? Yeah, so there's a lot of them that I could talk about, but I think the biggest one that frustrates me a bit is I should have started YouTube when I was 19 or 20. I would be way ahead of the game right now. I would already have, you know, seven, eight figure business. I would already, you know, you know, I would I would be making a lot more impact than I normally would. And the only thing that stopped me was fear. I'm 19. How am I supposed to share communication tips with the world? I don't know anything. 20, same excuse. 21, same excuse. And then after I got the job in consulting, then I said, you know what? I have nothing to lose now. I might as well start. And after I started, every YouTuber is going to tell you the same thing is that they wish they started yesterday. That was a big mistake on my end. It's not big. Like I think I'm still very confident in my strategy moving forward, but you know, it's, it's, it's all to say that regardless of how old you are, regardless of what you think you're, you're missing or whether you think you're lacking, you should go for it. Another, another quote I like that I'll add here by Peter Crone, who was on Aubrey Marcus's podcast. He said that if you squeeze an orange long enough, you get orange juice. And if you squeeze a human long enough, you get everything that they're still holding on to. And I thought that was really powerful because I just yeah. went, wow, that's true. And that's, that's something I struggle with, especially at the beginning, because I let age get in the way of what I was supposed to do in the world. I used to gloat a lot about my accomplishments at the beginning, not because I was a confident person or anything, or overconfident rather, but just because I wanted some validation because I was talking to people who were a lot older than me, who were a lot more experienced than me. And so my friend just came up to me and he said, look, if you just present and you show your tips and you... Sh- you just through your content alone, you're proving you're better than anyone else in this space. So don't let that insecurity with your age get in the way of your success. So there's just some failures I can mention. There's just a bunch of other stuff. Like, I don't know, like I had no idea how to film videos for like the first eight months. I was just, just using my phone. I still don't know how to make videos. That's why I outsourced it to my best friend. But I, I think just, just a lot of stuff with that, I would say. I can expand yeah. more if you want me to, though. Happy to. Well, I... I... I think that is very common is, you know, you wish you started sooner and that's why, you know, you, I encourage people when they have an idea, start on it now because you're, you're not getting any younger. It's, it's just something that you'd rather live with failure than regret. And so I, I appreciate that you can recognize that so early because, you know, I'm sitting here at 34 years old thinking, man, what if I started at 22 or, you know, and stuck with it? And that's, that's been my life story is I, I haven't been persistent enough in whatever I'm doing. So, you know, even if I start at 25, 28, 30, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I applaud you for figuring it out this early and, you know, sticking with it thus far. What would you say has been a challenge that you never expected out of this process? Oh man, challenge I never expected. There's there's a lot of them that come to mind. I think one in particular is managing. I was okay with it. I just didn't expect it at the beginning. 
was just managing being an, a quote unquote influencer. <laughs> like it's like I, I'm really bad. Okay, I know this is a bit small, but I'm really bad at receiving compliments. Like the way that you've been complimenting me like this entire episode before this, I was like, oh, I get I'm just like, thank you. But you know, I'm just a dude. Like I downplay myself a lot because right? I don't, I don't like the spotlight. I, I do it most, I know this is weird, but like I, and I'm a YouTuber and everything. It's just, I don't really like it. That's why I'm glad I'm a, I'm a public speaking coach. So I'm known for public speaking tips and not like changing the world with like motivation. Right. So, so I think the, that's one thing that I found surprising. It's just a lot of people who who started telling me about their problems, like personal problems that I never met, right? Even if I don't have that many followers, just like that, there's that process getting started, and it, it was it was it's not it it was just very um, nerve wracking for me at the beginning to manage that. And obviously, I've, I've done a better job with it. But that's something I just need to get used to, right? Uh, yeah. My friend, my friend summarized this really when I started YouTube. Well, he said he gave me two pieces of good advice because I never wanted to be on YouTube. As, as I said earlier in the show, I don't I don't even like making the videos. But in the sense of, he said that if you want to help every single human being on earth, if you want to make a big impact, you you have an obligation to go on video because you don't have enough time to coach everybody. And I just went, what do you mean? I can coach everybody. No, I'm like, he's like, no, you can't. And the second piece of advice that he gave me, that's very counter, very counter controversial, but I think it's worth mentioning, is that you are the slave to your audience. If you want to succeed as an influencer you need to add as much value as possible because everyone who wins, they take care of people. I mean, Ed is such a good example of this. I know so many crazy stories of Ed Milet saying yes to podcasts to people who, would, who will never add value in his life, like literally nothing, right? But he does it to add value and to be of service to people. And that's just one of many examples I can go through. But, but I think the idea is this, it's this idea of being a slave to your audience that I think a lot of people don't really understand about influencers. They go, oh yeah, these people are like on Instagram doing this thing, but they don't really understand what's happening in the back background which i think is worth mentioning yeah absolutely and like you mentioned i i know of uh people personally that have had ed Milet on their podcast and you know they have no tangible value that they can add to him but he definitely does love adding the value to their audience and uh it's he's a very interesting individual really i I've been impressed with uh, with what I've known about him, and in that regard, at least, of you know how he does try to deliver value and over deliver value, and like yourself, where you're you're having trouble taking those compliments. I know Ed Milet is one of those who has trouble taking that as well. So to try and help get you more comfortable you're doing a fantastic duty to the world to, you know, bring the public speaking out, out and everybody and helping them overcome all those things. So kudos to you. There you go. There's another compliment that you can uh, get used to, but I appreciate that. Man. <laughs> well, I, I've got to ask, uh, aside from master talk, your YouTube channel, obviously a great resource. What's one tip that you would give to somebody who's out there just starting to get into the public speaking? 
Right. So I think what would be interesting is if I talk about public speaking and life in general. So, so public speaking, I would say the first step that you need to do is figure out your public speaking why. What's the incentive? Why does your message matter? And if you get really clear, and it doesn't need to be a million people, by the way. You know, going back to Kevin Kelly's Thousand True Fans, it's the 10 people. It's the 20 people. You know, if you're, if you're a dermatologist who's focused on this little thing in this little niche, then that's the message and it matters to them. And then after you figure it out and you're so obsessed with them, then you can move on to the next step, which is ums and ahs, pauses and all that. But all that's tactics at the end of the day. You can still be a great speaker. Just don't expect to be world-class versus the person who's trying to make a big dent in the world. That's basically what I'd say. So that's my tip for public speaking. And I think the second tip, which is more related to life, is this idea of learning to be more insane. So what I've found in my life with a lot of the people I've studied over the years, because obviously we all stand on the, the, feet, the, the shoulders of giants here and learning from other people, is every person that has made some significant dent in the world or some change or some difference are a bit insane in their own way. So what does that mean? It means following their own judgment of what they actually believe to be true and actually true. So whether it's Elon Musk about, what do you mean? Of course, we, I can totally make a reusable rocket. That makes perfect sense because of X, Y, and Z truth. Or Ed with insurance or Gary with the marketing agency that he started. Every single person who's successful, believes something that nobody else believes. So my advice to people is to learn that habit. I have another way of explaining this. It's be insane or be the same. So if you want to be the same like everyone else, go for it. But if you want to be different, then learn to be a bit more insane. And the last part of that is how do you do that? And the best way I have of doing that is to practice communicating the weird things that you do in public. So I'll start because I like setting the example. I love Justin Bieber's music. I think he's amazing. I love Taylor Swift. I, I listen to that stuff all the time. One of my favorite hobbies in the world is I dance alone in my basement for an hour because I just find it fun and entertaining. And my favorite hobby in the world is asking people uncomfortable questions about their life. So there you go. So the idea is, and what I want your audience to pay attention to here, is the level of confidence in how I'm communicating those things. Not that those things are important or anything, but rather, since I'm very comfortable in my own odd and weirdness, the people who are around me accept me exactly the way, the, my exact MO, exactly who I am. So that gives me the permission to really do whatever I want. So when you get into that frame of mind, what ends up happening is now you can ask yourself the real questions. For instance, oh, I shouldn't start Master Talk. Why shouldn't I? Oh, well, I do have a PhD. Well, is that really important? Well, I need this type of education. Well, no, I don't. I know more about communication than they do. Why don't I just start making videos on my sofa? See, this type of conclusion does not come to an average human being, to someone who's not thinking in a crazy way. It comes to someone who's saying, I want to be different from the norm. The norm doesn't make sense. In fact, most things around me don't make sense. Two kids, white picket fence, house, who came up with this thing anyways? So if you start to practice to be more insane, you'll slowly build yourself into believing that you can do something different as well. Very cool. I, I need to be more insane. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I love that. That's, I, it just hit me as you said that. It's like, wow, yeah, I, I don't want to be the same. You know, I, I, you do have to lean into that because look at, you know, you've used Elon Musk as an example. That guy's, completely insane by the traditional standards, but he's changing the world by doing it, by having a reusable rocket and, you know, changing the car industry. And, you know, it's 
it's incredible to think, you know, those ones that are a little bit different are the ones that aren't going to make a difference. And just to take it back a little bit, having a seven-year-old and a four-year-old girl, uh, Taylor Swift is often on in our house and I've grown to love it. So (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, I, there's so many things that I, I wanted to, to, to talk to you about, but I don't want to take too much of your time. One thing that I think was really important that I wanted to have you explain a little bit. We talked a little bit prior to this about, you know, you were talking about standing on the shoulders of giants and, you know, we have people we look up to and mentors and what, what is the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? For sure. And I'm assuming you want me to talk about my own personal mentors as well, right? In that question. Yeah, Yeah, of course. So the big difference between a mentor and a sponsor is a mentor is not necessarily someone that you know, but rather someone you look up to. So this could be someone you pay directly for their time. This could just be, or what Seth Godin says, a hero, someone you never actually meet, but you still learn their lessons and the lessons that they took. And you ask yourself, if I was that person, what would I do in this situation? So that's what a mentor is. A sponsor is someone who raises their hand and says, this person is credible. And I believe in life, you need both. So mentors and heroes will help you inspire, will inspire you to think bigger. Hey, instead of shooting for master talk, doing a thousand subscribers and playing with my phone and doing nothing big with it, why don't I try and do something bigger? Because this hero of mine that I admire did something much bigger, whether it's Elon or other people that I admire. And the other side of that is who's actually going to help me get there, right? Who is actually going to help me get to B from the point A that I'm at? So now it's more a question of which events do I need to go to? What type of people do I need to surround myself? Who is going to raise their hand to say, this person got me this result or this person is someone you should look into? So I give you a personal example. So for me, a mentor or a hero is someone like Scott Harrison, who has been able to navigate the very, very difficult challenges of being a business guy in a nonprofit world and still being successful in there and trying to solve a problem that will never impact his family or generations of his family. So I commend him a lot for doing that and doing that in a very successful way. Hence why I do my best to support him in whatever I can, whether it's promotion or books or whatever. But on the sponsor side, so when it comes to my personal goals, So one of my goals is to have the largest YouTube channel on public speaking because I believe I have the skills and capability of doing that. But now the question differs. Who do I need to get to? Who do I need to ask? Who do I need to support to get to that goal? So now the conversation changes. Oh, maybe I need to get in touch with Trent to help me promote the YouTube channel and then just exchange that with value. So the idea here that, that I think is very tangible for your audience is think about the incentives. So for the people that you need, that you absolutely need to convince of your goal, your project, what can you do for those people so that you can get there faster? Is it money? Is it buying their programs? Is it giving your time? Is it adding value that they don't already have? And by figuring out that system of incentives for the goal that you want, you can advance there much further. So for me, once again, it's getting on more podcast shows, speaking on more stages, being involved with people who are raving for me, who have been waiting for me, but don't know I exist yet. Right. So, so that kind of stuff, I hope that that makes sense, but I'm happy to elaborate if you'd like me to. Yeah, no, that, that was fantastic. I, I, I feel like people talk so much about the mentor side that they don't 
talk enough about the sponsor side, you know, those people who are there to lift them up and to vouch for them and to, you know, be that, be that person that gets them maybe in front of those mentors. And I, I actually encourage people to meet their mentors, whatever it might take, because, you know, I, for example, I've met Ed Milat and Andy Frizzella and those guys. And I realized when I met them, they, I put them on a pedestal, you know, they were the heroes and I met them and shook their hand. And I was like, this is just a regular guy. He's just like me. He just had a goal and he never gave up. And I think, you know, he had the, the sponsors along the way that, you know, he brought along with him in this process. And now, you know, his supplement company, his brother runs and, um, but it's, it's important to have those, those heroes, those mentors, but understand you can still be like them one day if you don't give up. Uh, so I encourage you personally, don't ever give up on becoming the number one or number one YouTube channel on public speaking, because you're going to get there. It's just a matter of time and persistence. I want to ask you, you know, one question before I let you plug what you're doing now, what is it that excites you about the future, personal business, whatever the case may be, what's exciting you? What's exciting to me, Trent, is that we get to play this game. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm just really happy that I get to live in a country and a society where I actually get to make Master Talk a reality, whether it ends up becoming something or not. Just the fact that I have the chance to wake up every day and say, I can actually work on something super interesting that I can add a lot of value is the thing I'm always excited about every single day. And the other thing is, you know, moving more towards my end state. What would the world look like if everyone knew how to speak better? And this is something I would love for your audience to think about that I got at a workshop somewhere. It's, it's this exercise called a, a what if question or a what if statement. And my what if question is, what if the world, what if the world mastered the art of public speaking? What would that world look like? Or what if everyone acknowledged their story and shared it? Well, everyone would realize that their stories matter and that all of us matter. So we should stop hating each other and we should start focusing on, on things that we can work on together to make the play, this place a little bit better than we found it. So I think what I would encourage people to do to get you excited about the future as well and everyone else is listening is think about what your what if question. Like what if X happened? What, how would you feel? What would happen? And that drives me every day to do what I want because I give up on Master Talk every single day. And then after five seconds of giving up, I say, no, I don't. Because Julia isn't just the only person who needs me. It's every other Julia that will exist in every other country around the world forever for the rest of time. And I'm the only person who's equipped to help them. So I need to. Wow. Uh, that was deep, but very poignant right now of, you know, so much turmoil going on in the world and communication is, is crucial in moving forward. And so I think we all need to be more communicative and, you know, be the better speaker and tell our story. And so I think that's, that's awesome. I love the way you think about everything. So I, I appreciate that you, you know, took the time to, 
come on this show. I want to give you a chance to tell people where to best find you and find more information about what you're up to. Yeah, for sure. I'm not famous or anything. I always like mentioning that because people are usually afraid to like reach out to podcast guests. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So feel free to just send me a message over on Instagram. I'm at master your talk. So you can send me a DM question, you know, comment, anything. I respond to everything. So, so don't be shy to just send me a message over there. And if you're interested in mastering communication, check out my YouTube channel, master talk in one name. Perfect. And I'll make sure to include links in the show description. But again, thank you, Brendan. Really appreciate this. But I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten value out of this. So I encourage you to get out there and hustle today. Thanks for listening to the Hustle the Day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.